Hey, everybody. It is, what is it? Uh, the 11th of May already? That's crazy. Uh, Gen Con will be upon us before we know it. Origins will be upon, it, on us, upon us before we know it. But in the meantime, to get your gaming fix, you're listening to the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Joel, and with me, as always, is... Hey, guys. What's going on? It's Jason. Oh, man. What a great episode we have for you guys today. Um, I mean, if you normally just listen to us do our introductions and then stop listening... Don't do that this time, because actually we have like some legitimately awesome, like stuff happening. So agreed. Just yes. just be aware with that. Yeah, it's more. It's more. It's like one of the most legitimate things that we've done. Probably, probably like the the second most legitimate thing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, so let's get started with a few things in news. I have. Um, I'm going to do three Kickstarter pieces today. And if you have anything, you can throw it in to end or interrupt or whatever. Um, the first piece I have is a game called Brook City. Um, it's by Adam and Brady Sadler from Blacklist Games. It's a co-op cop game, kind of like Police Precinct, sort of. But instead of the components of Police Precinct, it has minis, of course, because it's on Kickstarter. It, it seems like a pretty interesting little game. And it's I think it's all the way funded already. So that's kind of cool. I figured Adam Sadler would make a game about like um a like Waterboy or I don't know, like fifty first dates or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the sequel. Brook City in uh goes back to school or something. But it is a it is a cop game then? Just a cop game with minis? Yes, yes. It's a co op game. Huh. So do you feel like it's Zombicide with a cop theme or Zombicide and Police Precinct have a baby or I don't know. No, it seems better. It actually seems better than Zombicide, but and it's probably better than Police Precinct too, because Police Precinct's not really that great of a game. But it's, yeah. it, it seemed interesting, and the artwork was pretty neat. So I might look into it a little more. Hmm. It does sound interesting. Yeah. Um. The next game, though, I'm way interested in, and it's called Tricky Tides, and it's designed by Stephen Aramini, and it's by Gold Seal Games. So what this is, it's essentially an area control game. But the twist here is you're doing a trick-taking game to decide who gets to move their boats around on the map first. So whoever wins the trick gets first dibs. And then after that, it goes in whoever has the next best card and so on. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little um, twist to area control and pick up. Or not area control, pick up and deliver. So I thought huh. that, that was an interesting little twist. Yeah. I had this idea a long time ago to potentially have a game where um, you use trick-taking as a mechanism that is a part of a bigger game, because I thought no one's ever done that. It'd be kind of cool. And I had a plan for it all where it was basically the trick-taking part was going to be double-deck bid euchre. And then like I couldn't quite figure out what it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like... You're trying to... like uh, One person places like aliens, the other person places humans, and like... If you play one way, it's like using diplomacy. If you play like another way, it's like using warfare. And another way, it's espionage. Right. Espionage. And like you could do it with like high card, euchre type deck or low card. And so that's one of those ideas that if you sleep on it, then somebody goes and does it and makes it better. So <laughs> yeah, that's probably what happened here. That's okay. If you guys want to make that alien game with trick taking in it too, just like put like, you can put your name in big, huge letters first and then put my name in like tiny letters second. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy with that. That's cool. Yeah, that would be cool. But I thought the the trick taking as like a turn order mechanism was kind of neat. I hadn't seen that before, and I thought that was pretty interesting. So 
I'm I'm actually considering backing this one because the price point's pretty good. It's like twenty four dollars or something. It's really inexpensive, which is nice. You know why? Because you're buying a game, not a library of miniatures, Agreed. which is yep. something yep. that makes me happy. Yep, I'm with you. Um, I I really do think trick taking is probably one of the more underutilized mechanisms. I really love trick taking as a mechanism overall, and I wish more games had it in it. Um, and I like trick taking games a lot. Uh, in fact, if you go to our Facebook page, I did a top 10 trick-taking games a couple weeks ago now um, where I talk about some of the games I love in that. But I think this sounds really cool. Um, I Honestly, trick-taking is a lot of fun, and it's a mechanism that anybody can understand, really. So uh, it makes an accessible thing that's kind of fun to be a part of a bigger game. Awesome. I need to check this one out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm After I get off of here, I'm actually going to check it out some more and see what... A little more about it. See if I actually do want to get it. But yeah, it's interesting for sure. 24 bucks with uh, probably only what? $17 shipping. I don't think, I think the shipping is actually free in America. What? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, and then the final piece I have is just like a component deal, which I thought was kind of interesting. It It's called Campaign Coins and they're making deluxe metal meeples. So you can get metal meeples in different color metal and the inside... Like the front and the back of the meeple will be different colors. So you can get like your favorite player color to use. I just thought it was kind of interesting. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Metal, metal meeples. Yeah. Oh, wait, is metal meeple the company or is, me- I didn't catch that. No, the, the game, the company I think is campaign coins. They usually make coins, uh-huh. but now they're, okay, I gotcha. they're doing like a deluxe metal meeple Kickstarter. You can get gotcha. like, like a set of like nine of any color that you want or they make. Or you can get one of every all, all six colors. or Yeah, it, it's kind of neat. I just thought it was interesting to pimp out some games and wanted to mention it. I uh, I backed a Meeple thing um, from Meeple Source a long time ago um, to get their company started, actually. And so they had – it was really affordable that you could, you could back it and you got a choice of like 13 different Meeples. And so I have like Holmes and Watson and a Yeti and Donkey Kong. And my favorite one is I have like – Three or four different um, luchadors, so that's pretty awesome. That, that, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out a way to incorporate those in the game. Somehow, that is awesome, but. yeah. <laughs> but, and then the reason why I was so distracted, my ADD flared up because I was like, this company was so close to being epic and awesome. Like they call themselves campaign coins, and I was like, they're one letter away. They should have been champagne coins, and it just would have been so much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be cooler. Uh, yeah, I agree. The yeah. champagne of coins. Come get our metal meeples. <laughs> That's how my brain works, man. I don't know. It's just stupid. And then I don't listen to what the words coming out of your mouth are. My wife loves it so much. Like she says something like campaign coins. And then I'm thinking for the next three minutes about how funny it would be to make a fake commercial for champagne coins. And like, I don't hear what she says. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it happens. <laughs> I think we'll be all right. I hope. All right. So now we're on to games we played this weekend. And then we're going to talk together about a game that we really enjoy. And we're going to give this a rating from our new 1 to 5 wrench rating system, which we'll get into in more detail when we get there after we both talk about some other games. So now this week we both happen to enjoy this game, but well, that's true. I'm not, yeah, this week we do enjoy it though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It might not always be like that, but then we can just discuss and argue, and that'll be fun. Uh, maybe until like <laughs> until we have like to have a reunion show after like not having one for six years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. As long as we don't have to talk about like 
Zombicide will be fine or something yeah. like that. I, I'd give Zombicide three wrenches, which <laughs> yeah. would make it an average wrench rating of two because of your one. Yeah, I, I, I'd give it a one probably, but that's not this episode. We'll talk about that in another one. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah. All right. So the first game I played this weekend that I wanted to talk about is Cavern Tavern. And this is the same people who did Rise to Nobility, which I really enjoy. But I like this game a little better, actually, because it's more streamlined. There's less convolution of the rules in this. You're basically rolling dice. You're placing them on the board to get ingredients to make these grumpy people in this tavern drinks. So you're trying to get like honey and beer and wine, elixir, nectar spirits, whatever these people want. And you have so many rounds to get this drink made to get points. And if you can't do it within those rounds, you're going to lose a pile of points and make the, the cavern or the tavern manager mad. And when he gets mad, you take negative cards and they really mess you over. But you're going to play over 10 rounds and whoever has the most points wins. It's fun. So two questions for you. Yeah. It, it sounds like this game is Grand Austria Hotel and like brew crafters together. A little bit, but maybe not. I don't know. It sounds really cool, though. Yeah, I mean... That's it's not actually a question, I guess, technically. Yeah, it's not really like either of those games. It's it's more like... I don't know. What What is it like? You're putting... It's just like a worker placement game. Like, say it was like Viticulture, but instead of using a, a little meeple, you're using a die. And wherever you go, you're going to collect resources based on the die number. So, I now mean... This, yeah. Go ahead, Jason. No, I mean, it's just, it's just a normal worker placement game, but... You use dice so it's a little more random because you never know what you're going to roll. And then there are areas around the outside where they have higher values where you're going to have to use multiple dice. And if you use those, you're going to get to do instead of collecting one resource, you're going to get a maybe sometimes get two resources and some points. So you have to decide, do you want to use one die to get one resource or do you want to use three dice to go over here, get some points and move your tech tree down and stuff? It, it, it's pretty cool, actually. Sounds like there's a lot to it. It's pretty neat. Now, did I miss this one? Is this new or has this been out for a while? And then like this company, like Rising Ability is not an old game by any means. Is this one newer or older than that game? I'm not sure. I thought Cavern Tavern was first, but yeah, I honestly don't know. It, hmm. it feel, it's the same art and stuff as Rising Ability. I guess they're supposed to be doing like four or five games in this same universe or something. I don't know. So they have Rising Ability, they have Cavern Tavern, and then they have the Robin Hood and the Merry Men. That was just mm. on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm not sure if Cavern Tavern was first or Rise of Nobility. You, you're making me really interested in this one, Jason. You're giving me the itch. It's super fun. We played it. I played it two player and it took maybe 40 minutes. It flew by and it was awesome. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And it has a tech tree in like the whole nine yards and you get done in 40 minutes. Yep. It's wow. Re- it's really fun. That is going to be in my watch list or things to try and play at some point. Awesome. If you have a copy of Cavern Tavern, bring it to Origins to our, uh, I don't know if we've got this figured out yet or not, but we, I think we're going to try and have a meetup right before Origins if we can figure it out. So yep, we'll, we'll square that away and let everybody know. Oh, I hope that happens. And someone brings Cavern Tavern and we can play it. The, the, the board game place that we're going to be hosting it out at, which is beyond the board in Columbus, right down the road from Origins, uh, they have a huge demo library, so they may actually have it. So who knows? Oh, Awesome. Well, Jason, my first game I want to talk about is the one that I don't feel like you're going to be as interested in. Um, it is Artifacts, Inc. I got this one on clearance at Barnes & Noble. 
And I thought, hey, I've been interested in this game enough to buy it at half price for a long time. It's a Red Raven game, uh, so the art in it's really cool, and his games aren't bad. I don't think Ryan Lockett's ever made a bad game, like just straight out bad game. So uh, I took a chance on this one, and I'm pretty happy I did. Um, and this game is, overall, I would say it's an excellent game. Uh, the way how this game works is there's basically, everybody starts off with the same four cards um, as your kind of like home base. The, the theme of the game is that you're playing as a company that does... Uh, like ex- excursions or uh, goes exploring for artifacts and fossils and ancient relics and then sells them to museums. Um, so you're trying to make money and gain nobility or, or uh, notoriety, I guess probably is a better word, uh, not nobility, notoriety uh, amongst the like archaeologists that you're competing against. And so basically on your turn, you have four cards to start with. One is a desert excursion where you can gain dinosaur fossils. The second one is a cavern where you actually truthfully can find fossils. The other one's actually scrolls now that they think about it. And then you also start off with a like a headquarters where you're allowed to buy other cards. And then you also have a one other card that I can't think of right now. Uh, something else. Well, anyway, there's another action you can do. Um, and you roll... You roll, you start the game. Oh, it's the, the fourth card is the number of workers you have. So you start off with three workers. Every card has a level one and a level two side. And you basically are placing these die, um, on these different cards and they have different criteria. So for you to go on an excursion to try and find dinosaur fossils, you have to place like a one or a three or better. So the only thing that won't work for it is the two. And then for, in order for you to go and find scrolls, you have to roll a three or better. And for you to buy something, you use twos. So right off the bat, everything you roll, you can use. There also are public spaces that you can do things with. One of them is you can give tours, um, like guide tours. And so you just spend a die there and it gives you a dollar. Um, you also can sell artifacts to private collectors where you get a dollar per artifact that you sell. And then you also get a dollar bonus for each type of artifact you sell. And you have to roll a certain value for that. Then there's four different museums. And like I said, you only start off with the scrolls and the fossils. But then as you play the game, you get jungle uh, expeditions and then you get like Arctic expeditions. And the Arctic expeditions allow you to find rubies and the jungle expeditions allow you to find little statues. And as you're playing this game, different technologies come up that you can buy also and you can power yourself up to get more die or mitigate your die in different ways. So one example is you can get this pickup truck that allows you to reroll one of your die. You have to spend a dollar to get it, but it's also worth one victory point. So um, it's a pretty low-level tech. Some of the better things you can get are you can upgrade your archaeologist to get a fourth die. You can buy um, another archaeologist or another adventurer to come along with you. And that gives you more die that you can roll. Um, and as you're going on, you get more and more die. You get a chance to turn your die up or down one number, re-roll die. And it's a race to 20 points. But then just because you hit 20 points doesn't necessarily mean you win. Because those museums I talked about where you're selling those things, there's also victory points in those. So if you have a majority in those museums, so if you sold the most fossils, you get a certain number of victory points. If you had the most rubies, you get a certain number of victory points. Um, it's a really cool game. At first, it reminded me a little bit of Machi Koro. Um, but it's not really Machi Koro, like even really at all. It's, I would say it's closer to like something like Marco Polo or something where you use dice as a placement um, mechanism. It's way lighter than Marco Polo, but a lot of fun. And the game is so compact and small and I got it for like 11 bucks. And so this is one that dollar for dollar is a really excellent buy. Um, I love this game. I, I just think it's 
so slick the way how everything works in it and dice placement is such a fun mechanic uh just really enjoy this game so that was artifacts inc by red raven games of all of his games this seems like one that i was kind of interested in because i knew it was like a littler box and for some reason i assumed it was like that art um archaeology the new expedition game have you played that i haven't yeah you have a hand of cards and you're trying to go around you're drawing a card trying to sell stuff to museums and you're also going into like temples and exploring so i thought it was like that and it seems it's sort of like that but this one also has dice so it's i don't know i still think it would be kind of fun to play so i'm a little interested in this one i think you'd really like it i think the fact that you love marco polo as much as you do i think you'd really like it because it has it's not totally the same but it's not the same because you roll your dice and then do everything with your dice. You don't take turns with your dice like a Marco Polo. Right. Like that's a big difference. But I think it's really neat. I think you'll really like it for what it is. I think it won't be something you maybe have to run out and buy. But I think it's one of those things that you'll keep an eye out for and you'll find it for $4 eventually or something at a board game auction or something. And you'll you'll be happy. You'll be really happy. I hope people out there listening right now are happy too because – it's a it's a really good game that I haven't heard people rave too much about. I know it was out of print for a while. I think he ran a short print of this. It came out at Gen Con, I believe the same year as Above and Below. And so it kind of got overshadowed by Above and Below. And then it was out of print for a while. And now I saw it some other places. Um, but if you can find it at your Barnes & Noble on clearance for half price, I would wholeheartedly endorse it. I think... It's the it's as good a filler game as far as like an actual meaty Euro feeling filler game as anything out there. It, it plays in like I played it with two players in maybe 35, 40 minutes and it plays with four in about an hour. Nice. Yeah, I think I saw this at Origins last year for like 15 bucks, which is a pretty yeah. sweet deal. So, I, yeah, I should have snagged that up. Yeah, I, I you know, this might be one that I bring and we play it because it's pretty quick. But it just I don't know. It's one of those games, too, that I didn't know if I was going to love it or not. But then I played it and I was like, oh, this is really smooth how it plays. So some games just, they are better because the finish on them is so good right. that it makes them better, you know? And this is one's in that category, I would say. That's cool. All right. So before I get on to my next game, I looked up Cavern Tavern. Yeah. And it looks like it came out before Rise of Nobility. It came out in 2016 and Rise of Nobility is 2018 officially. Huh. So man, I didn't realize that game was two years old. I didn't like never heard of it until recently. It sounds really cool. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, that's just a side note. Um, it's right. going to go on my want and trade list. I mean, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I already added it to mine. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So the next game I played is a little, I guess you may you may count this as a filler. I'm not sure. But it's Blueprints by Z-Man. And essentially, this is Sagrada, but you're building things instead of filling in a window. So you get this blueprint telling you how you have to have dice stacked to make this structure. Usually you can stack two or three high and then it's in like an L shape or, a, you know, some other shape. And then based on what color dice you pick and how many of them you have or what pips you have facing up is how you score points for the round to score in-game points. Which is interesting because all the points you score in each round mean nothing unless you can get one of the in-game point scoring cards which I think is really interesting. So Blueprints, better than Sagrada, but not as good to me as role player. But I did enjoy it, and I would gladly play it again. Huh. So the game to own is role player, but Blueprints is something you'll play. I think they scratch a different itch. Blueprints is definitely lighter because you don't have to think as much. You just put dice where they need to go. The only thinking is really, do I want that die that gives me six points? 
or do I want to try to get five of this color to get 30 points? So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's not as, I don't even think it's as heavy as role player, which role player is not heavy, but it's, it's still fun. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm really interested. This isn't something I played this week. I mean, like, I don't know why not. Cause it's a good game. So it's not like, Hey, I don't want to play it. But, um, I think that the role player expansion has a lot of potential to really make the game even better. So I'm really curious about that. Um, that you have monsters you fight at the end. So it's actually like you have an objective for why you're getting this hero ready. It feels like it almost completes the game. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I want to pick that up, but I don't know if it's in America yet. Yeah, I think it just is this week because I think I saw it on Cool Stuff. Oh, okay, cool. I might have to grab that too. I think it just came out. It's kind of expensive for an expansion, but um, it's probably worth it. Yeah. But yeah, blueprints, fun. It's like Sagrada. So, like, if you like Sagrada, you're gonna like Blueprints. No, no doubt about it. Um, so, I recommend go checking that out if you have any interest in rolling dice and doing things other than combat with them. Yeah, uh, sounds really cool. Um, how old's this game, roughly? Do you know? I don't know. I know this is a reprint. The one that I played was the reprint because it was out of print for a while. So, I, I'd say three, four years old, probably. Really? I'll actually look it up and maybe I can get some uh, educated information up in here. Looks like um, 2013, so five years old. Yeah, that's uh, like ancient in board game terms, yeah, but not it that is. long ago, really. Yeah, and it holds up. I mean, it holds up just like, a, you know, like Sagrada, and that's fairly new. So it's, it's legit. I mean, it's not like it's a five-year-old game and it automatically is terrible. So those of you who thought I might have been distracted while Jason was just talking then, you were right. Because I just offered my first trade for Cavern Tavern. (laughs) (laughs) Already nice. (laughs) Well, if you're in Iowa and you're on Board Game Geek and you own Cavern Tavern and you have it for trade, you might want to check your geek now. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Hey, whatever, man. (laughs) Captain Sonar is a great game. I love that game, but I never have eight people to play it. So, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe we can work something out here. So... Anyway, <laughs> all right. Anything else on blueprints, J- Jason? I think I just almost called you Joel. What kind of day is it when I'm calling you my own name? I don't know. It's okay. It's Monday. It's good. <laughs> Recording is Monday. Yeah. Uh, Jason Lacerda. I got to remember your name. <laughs> yeah. My uncle Vitel. <laughs> we'll be talking to him later. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> but no, I'm done with blueprints. So you can go ahead and talk. We can talk about the the one that's up for a wrench rating now. Oh, I, Jason, you can't skip this, man. Oh, yeah, you're right. I did forget one. Yeah, go. This, you, yeah, we got to hear Listen, I've been one. waiting all day to talk about this, Jason. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I think go. you're trying to punk me here. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I normally buy from one local board game guy, and he didn't have a copy of Feudeman yet, and that kind of made me bummed. But then there was another local guy. Sorry, but he had a 25% off sale on everything, including Feudum. So the price was actually like a fuzz cheaper than Amazon and a fuzz cheaper than Cool Stuff with shipping. And so um, I ended up picking up Feudum. And I just know that I love Monty Python and I love Dr. Seuss, I guess. So like, <laughs> it looks like the kind of game I would like. Yeah. Um, although that's where like the comparisons pretty much stop at the look of the game. Um, this game is – I'm just going to let the, let the cat out of the bag. It's amazing. Um, I love it. It's a 10 right now to me because I would – honest to goodness, if you, if you had the Hyperloop working, Jason, and you could get to Indiana – I would, and it's like, let's say 10 o'clock when we're done recording tonight. 
and you said, hey, Joel, let's play Feudum and explain it to me and we'll play it and it will be 1 a.m. before we get to sleep. And then you'll probably be thinking about the game till three before you can fall asleep. I would say done. I will suffer tomorrow because <laughs> it is worth it. Um, like I just, I do absolutely love this game. Uh, so I played this game on Saturday. I played it on Saturday. I started at about, oh, I started at about three o'clock and I was doing a bunch of little like odd jobs throughout the house at the same time. So like my son and I would play a little bit and then we would take a little break and then we would come back and play some more. But we ended up playing from like three o'clock until like maybe nine thirty or 10. That was with some dinner breaks in there and some looking up some rules like you have to do the first time you play something, changing out some laundry. I mowed the lawn in there. So, I mean, it's hard to say exactly how long this game is, but um, let me back up a little. If you are friends and family who listen to this show but don't know anything about board games or if you've been a little out of the board games loop, I guess, Feudum is a game that has come out in the last, uh, I would say the Kickstarters got their editions maybe two months ago. And now it's in retail within the last couple of weeks. Um, but it was really hyped up because there's not a ton of big, heavy euros that come out on Kickstarter. Um, and this one's kind of a hybrid between a big, heavy euro and just pure goofiness um, with the art and the way how these monsters look and just the everything in the game is just it reminds me, honestly, of when you play Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail or not play when you watch that. Those little cartoon segments in the middle where it's like Sir Robin's minstrels were eaten and, and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> yeah. Like those little segments. It reminds me of that a little bit. Um, meets a Dr. Seuss kind of art look almost. But there's a really cool video. It's worth watching the video. I won't be able to explain the entirety of the game. There's no way in, in this podcast format without using visuals and just trying to explain how the board looks and things. It's, it's not even worth trying to totally explain this game. Because it's super heavy. It's the heaviest thing I've ever played. Um, and I've played, you know, like Through the Ages and uh, I've played Kanban and I've played uh, Gallerist. And this one's got them beat, I think, a little bit. All of them. Um, Jason won't agree. Jason will think it's like basically shoots and ladders. But <laughs> that's what it looks um, like. <laughs> it kind of does. But it's super, super heavy. There's just so much going on. Um, but I'll, I'll say this there's a, video that's put out by Oddbird Games on YouTube. Oh, that's it's awesome. About, it's yeah. about 28 minutes long, and it's a British dude doing the narration, and it's so funny. It is. It's awesome. It, it explains the game pretty well. And uh, my favorite line in there is like, they're talking about the monster. You can purchase this monster for a certain number of influence tokens. You can get this monster instead of a pawn. And they're talking about the, what the monster can and can't do. And then he suddenly says, you do not have to feed the monster. Because the monster eats people. And like, he's just real quiet. And like, it's just, you have to watch it. It's so funny because yeah. it's a British guy saying it. And like, it's just their dry sense of humor and his delivery is so funny. But that's what reminded me of Monty Python a lot in this game. Now, so I'm going to go ahead and just go through the complaints that people have about this game and I'll address them. People who don't like this game say it's heavy for the sake of being heavy. They say that the graphic design of the board game is form over function. Um, and people say that it's, you know, too long and it seems like there may be balance issues or, um, I don't know. They say a bunch of stuff about it. And like, especially this is where Jason, I had this bittersweet moment today where I was reading people's reviews of it and thoughts of it on Reddit. I was actually looking for like strategies and how people play the game to do well. And there's none of that. It's all people like belly aching about like, this game's heavy for the sake of being heavy and it's not clean graphically and it yeah, has you, wooden pieces in it and it kills trees. You can't, like, and I've decided that the people on Reddit are like not into heavy games. Like, well, you I don't know. You can't go to Reddit for anything other than complaining anyway. That's just what Reddit <laughs> is. Oh man, now we're never going to get love on Reddit. 
<laughs> not that we ever would have, but I mean, <laughs> no, honestly though, I think, uh, I think the people in Reddit, there was a mix, but it was two thirds. Like people were like, I didn't really like it. I wasn't impressed with it. And one third were exactly who I am, where it was, I'm not sure what I think about this game yet. But this game has so much to it that I'm dying to play it again because I want to explore more of it. Um, real quick, just an explanation of the game. Uh, I think I probably should have done that a long time ago. But the game basically is like you're, you've been kicked out of a kingdom. You're trying to reestablish your family name, build feudums, and regain influence in the kingdom. And so you basically contract out these pawns. And that's what's the first clever thing in this game is that your pawns are six-sided die. So you get six choices on what your pawns are going to be. And then they, in turn, give you influence on these guilds. And the guilds are really where the game seems to happen. But then aside from the guilds, these powers that you get that influence the guilds also do give you powers on the board. So if you have like one type, if you have like uh, an alchemist on the board, well, now you have influence in the alchemy guild. So you're allowed to make airships and do some cool things that other players can't do. But also you have like special advanced bonus powers that you have by having an alchemist on the board. So like when you spawn a new person, you can spawn them anywhere on the board. You don't have to spawn them in a spot where you have influence. So, I mean, there's just all these different player powers that you can activate by using the different die and then you can pull the guys back and change them and put different professions out. There's like I said, six of them. You can be like a knight, nobility, a cleric, um, all these different things. Uh, and then these guilds have these three actions that it's just, this game is so different than anything else I've played. It's got this base action that anybody can do. So like when you go to the farm, you can always cash in two of your goods for one food at the farm every time, no matter who you are. But if you are the journeyman, so the second highest, most influential person there, you're allowed to like, um, well, that was a bad example because I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I think you're allowed to push food to the, the cleric somehow. You're allowed to influence the cleric. And if you are the guild master, you're allowed to put goods from the farm into the store. Um, push them into the store and score points. So then the other thing too is if you can do fill up three rows of points with food from the farm into the into the next guild over, which is the merchant's guild, then you score a bunch of points. And then you actually benefit the merchant's guild. So it's like you have to balance, am I going to actually want to help myself and give myself those six points by doing that push? But at the same time, I am helping out the merchant's guild. So is that something I really want to do or not? And maybe you're the guild master of both. Then it's a no-brainer. You're like, oh man, I'm really helping myself a ton. I have a nice engine going here. And then that's something other players have to be aware of too is like don't let people be in charge of guilds that are next to each other because they can really take advantage of that. So um, just a billion things going on in this game. And then beyond that, the mechanism in this game for like actually actions you play is you have a hand of 11 cards and each card has a base action on it that you can do. And then it has like an advanced action. Not every card has an advanced action, but a lot of them have an advanced action that say if this thing is true for you, then you get to do this additional bonus thing as well. So you're drawing four cards, but then you can also pick five cards if you're willing to pay an extra resource sometimes. And then you do these actions around the table. It's like card playing almost. And it's seriously, it's so awesome. It's got so much to it. It's so big, so heavy. It just, it, it was in my brain haunting it. I, I was literally, literally up until like midnight or one um, just thinking about this game. So it was just in my brain. So anyway, that is Feudum. I can't do it any justice really at all by talking about it on a podcast. You should honestly go watch some videos about it or go play it or something. Um, but yeah, I talked about one tenth of the game and I love it. So anyway. So the monsters, how much attacking is there from the monsters? 
Um, everybody attacks the same. The monsters attack the same as everything else. They're actually a little weaker at attacking because their defense is actually a little worse. Um, the only advantage a monster has is you don't have to feed him. So like there's an upkeep phase where you have to give food to your workers. The monster doesn't need it. Um, and then the one monster is like land bound. He can't go in water. And the other monster is water bound. He only goes in water. So right. um, they didn't really impact our game really at all. Like there were certain guilds we didn't even use. Like we didn't use the religious guild at all in this game practically. And it's super powerful. We just didn't get to it. And it's just we were exploring so many other parts of the game. The attacking is a part of this game for sure. Um, it's got this thing of where if you don't attack you basically are going to harm yourself because you're seeming like you're disloyal to the king. And so he takes points from you every round. Um, but that's, I think, just to keep people interacting and fighting with each other. And, I mean, I don't love the combat part of this game because you do lose stuff, but I don't know. It's it's a part of it for sure, but it's not a huge part. Yeah, I, that's sad. That makes me sad a little bit. I didn't realize there was that much fighting in it. That That's bummer. <laughs> yeah i just like rained on your parade didn't i it i'll tell you what um luke and i played a game a two-player game and i had one combat in the whole game so i mean like it's not a huge part of it in a two-player game for sure because we were able to spread out a lot but i could see we're in like a four-player game it would be a bigger part of the game right yeah i could see that well the other thing too though is like there's advantages to having people that are serfs in your kingdom too so i mean sometimes you don't want to you don't want to oh, like, you know, starve out your serfs or sometimes you don't want to, um, you know, like kick out the the leader because being a serf is, has its advantages too. So like this is another part of the game that I'm not even getting to. These different locations you're upgrading from like a keep to a town to uh, or to a farm to a town to a feudum. And um, yeah, there's just so much in this game to get to. But there's another way you can attack too, which is where you use like the monarch's power. And she basically, it's called Starve the People. And it's a way that you can do an attack technically, but it's like basically you kill a surf off. You remove a surf from the board. And then that counts as an attack for you so that you don't have to lose points. But I, I lost points the entire time for that. I lost seven points one round. I lost six another round. Um, and it was okay. It was fine because I was doing enough other stuff that was really important that those points, I ended up still scoring like 120 points. So it wasn't a huge deal. All right. I still, I'm less excited about it now, which that's because there's conflict. Yeah. Why do they have to do that? Quit ruining the pureness of a Euro and let me play my own game. You play your game and leave me alone. Why do we have to mess this, this formula up? I don't, I don't understand it. The best Euro games can be played by two people in solitary confinement cells using a telegraph wire between the two of them. That is correct. You are 100% correct, sir. <laughs> On separate boards. <laughs> Yes. None of this battling and combat mess. Come on. I, it's it's so much interaction. Like, I think that's where this game's different than a lot of yours is there is a lot of player interaction on it. Um, so you can't really solitaire it. But, I, man, it's... The other thing, too, is you could house rule it, too, that you can't do, like, I don't know. I guess you couldn't do it because you'd have to have a monarch out to do it. But, I mean... If you attack too, you're giving up one of your actions and your actions are super precious. So I don't know. I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd want to, I don't think you'd want to attack too much in this game because there's just so much other stuff you want to do. I would say attacking and defending in this game are uh, 80% as important as in Scythe. I mean, like, honestly, like 
at least in the first play that I played. And there might be people who love to play this like little war dogs or whatever, but I mean, you could play it not solitaire because you're definitely interacting with people and taking over different spots um, based on like, you know, area control kind of stuff. But it's, it's just still so good. And if you, if you watch, there's two schools of thought in this game. One is I don't mind the board because the board's cool looking and you can figure it out after an hour of playing it. And that's where I'm at. And then there's the other school of thought, which is this board's terrible because it doesn't have exact slots for everything that go there. And it doesn't have like function over form 100%. So you sometimes have to move pieces around a little to see what things are where, you know? And I don't mind that because overall, the landscape of the board looks so cool. And then the other one that you see too is you see people who just absolutely love these 4.5 and heavier games. And they say, oh, this is a beaut. This is a beaut how all these parts go together and they just work together in a way that makes you interact and have stuff happen. And then there's the other side of it, which are people who go, why do you have so many things? I just want less things to have to think about. And that's the guys who just like a good clean Euro game. Um, I think you've pushed me towards the people who want things to be um, fiddly for the sake of being fiddly at times. So I don't know. I, I do love this game, Jason, a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. I'll still play it. I'm just less excited about playing it. You're not going to run out of Origins with the box of Feudum above your head going, Feudum, Feudum. Nope. If I had to pick one, it's Lisboa for sure. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You and Lisboa, I'll own Feudum. All right, sounds good. Because Lisboa seems like it's one notch too dry for me, truthfully. Oh, I love dry. The drier, the better. I yeah. Love All it. right, so... Cool Stuff, Inc., our good buddies in Miniature Market, our good friends. Um, <laughs> listen, Jason has his rule, okay? He can't spend more than $49.99 on a board game. And so he's waiting. He's waiting for you guys to say, deal of the day, Lisboa, even standard edition, $49.99. And he will be a happy boy. And that day he will buy that game. I will. I, didn't want, I won't even feel bad about it. I will buy it for sure. Yep. yep. Or you'll wait until there's a used copy on board game geek uh and there will be yeah i've been trying that but people are like the shipping is like outrageous oh i know it's gotten pretty bad (laughs) yeah and i don't think that one will fit in a flat rate box honestly Uh, no it's too big all right so let's get talking to the the game that we're going to give uh our first wrench rating i can't talk about feudum for 10 more minutes no i think we've uh tapped out on the feudum jason Just 10 more minutes, man, okay? (laughs) Maybe we can throw in Feudum in the next episode as well. I'll play it this weekend so I can play it again. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to be hurting for stuff to have played the next episode because I am actually headed to Ohio this weekend for a 16-hour day. And then I guess Sunday is some kind of American holiday called Enjoy Your Mom Day. And so I have to go enjoy my mom on Sunday. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she doesn't play board games. No, no, she doesn't. She loves Cornhole, though. Maybe we'll play Cornhole. Hey, that's a, that's a fun game. <laughs> yep. All right. So let's talk about what the, these new ratings are first, which we just came up with these. So put whatever kind of weight in them that you would like. But here's what it is. So We spent less time thinking about them than you're going to spend time listening to them. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, okay. So a five-wrench rating means we'll play it anytime and would suggest it to 80% of gamers to own. So that's a five. That's pretty broad. That's four out of five people. It would benefit them to have it in their collection. Correct. Yes. A four, we would play most anytime, but not as much as we would play a five. And we would recommend to 50 to 60% of people to own. 
of, of gamers, not just people, of gamers. And I think this is one, too, where if somebody asked you to play this game, you wouldn't say no. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, what was that? That was four. So, three, we'll play it sometimes if we're in the right mood or if others want to play it. And we would suggest to 35 to 40% of gamers to own. So, not quite at the 50% mark, but we still like it. We're not going to bring it out. A lot of people should own it. Yeah, and we're not going to bring it out on our own. Two, we'll play if someone convinces us it gets no recommendation. And a one, we will not play. I put, I would rather play TI4, which is the most Ameritrashy space game I could think of. And I put for you, you would rather play Munchkin. Yeah, Munchkin's a one. I think, <laughs> I think a two also for me is something that I won't own. But if you own it, I'm not going to make fun of you and think you have no taste. A one, no comment. <laughs> right, yeah. So anything above a three is a pretty solid game. A two and one, eh. So, well, yeah, if it's a two or one, you should know how we feel about those. And if the, okay, so then we've also decided that Jason and I will average our scores. If a game averages a four and a half or higher, which means one of us gave it a five, the other one gave it a four, we induct that game into the Hall of Fame. And it becomes one of our amazing games on the list of games that people should really strongly consider when developing a collection. If it scores between a, what was it, a four and a four and a half? Or is it three and a half? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Again, you're you're hearing this more than we're thinking about it. So, (laughs) a three and a half to four and a half, somewhere in there, it's a game that we would say, "Hey, if you're looking to round out your collection and this game looks good to you, we like it too." Yep, I like like that. And below that, if it's got a three average or lower, proceed with caution, especially those twos and ones. Not all games can be happy pigs. (laughs) That's true. And again, just because we think something's a one or a two. You may think it's a five, and that's fine. It's strictly opinion from a rating system that we made up that really has no bearing or weight at all. So take that as you wish, and now we'll talk about the game. And just before we even get into that, I think it's fair for us to disclose at this point, too. My tastes have become really pretty strong into the Euro stuff. Not quite what Jason's are. I do like some thematic games. I do like some Ameritrash stuff, but... I'm to the point now where something like Dead of Winter, it just feels like it's such a mess of rules that you're going to get wrong, and it's so messy. I'd rather just play some role-playing game and kind of leave that one on the table. That's kind of where my tastes have gotten to. Um, So if you're the kind of guy who likes to set up a dungeon crawl, or if you're the kind of guy who likes to play those co-op, survive-the-apocalypse kind of games, we may not give your game that high of a rating. That's just a personal taste thing. Um, you may love your game, like we said earlier, yeah. but we're definitely leaning towards the Euro side of stuff, for sure. <laughs> or we J- may not rate it at all. <laughs> J- Jason, what's the highest Ameritrash game in your in your mind? Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I play so few of those. I played Path of Light and Shadow. We'll, we'll say that one. And that's barely Ameritrash at all. It's a yeah. deck builder with minis. <laughs> I don't but know. would that get a four wrench rating or a three wrench rating? It would probably be three. It was a little too attacky for me, but it's still a good game, so I'd probably give it a three. Yeah, and for me, Wasteland Express Delivery Service is one that I'd put between a four and a five. I'm not sure where I'm at on that yet, but that's my taste, is that I will have some Ameritrash games that are pretty rock solid that get that five. All right, so now that I think everybody kind of understands the ratings, we're going to talk about a game that we both enjoy this time, and it's called Royals. Royals. Yeah, so that's a Dice Tower Essential game. Um, it's a reprint. I don't know who did it before, but now it's from 
Arcane Wonders, I think. That's yeah, the, dice, absolutely. the Dice Tower publishing I'm not company. sure that it ever made it to the United States before Arcane Wonders put it out. I kind of think that's the story with it. I think it was in Europe. I don't know that it ever made it to the States. Mm, that could somehow, be. And somehow the Dice Tower guys got a chance to play this and thought, hey, this needs wider distribution. That's kind of the story of how the Dice Tower Essential games work. Right. Um, so other Dice Tower Essential games that you're more familiar with, obviously, for sure, because they're way more popular, include Sheriff of Nottingham, uh, Onitama, and Viral. Um, I think there's probably others in there too, but those are the ones that people are usually pretty familiar with. This Royals box, I don't know why, but it kind of got overlooked by most people. Let's let's say uh, essentially Royals is Ticket to Ride area control. So you're you're picking up cards that are certain colors, and you're using those cards to place cubes down on a certain area of the board. So instead of placing trains on a train route, you're trying to take control of like a noble on this board to earn the most influence in a city. Ticket to Kalis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more like Ticket to El Grande, maybe. I don't know. It's yeah. it's, its own thing, though, too. It's, right. But it does have set collection in it where you're drawing cards to try and get a good set uh, in order to establish influence in different territories on the map. It's a great game. I've played it with a lot of people who don't really play a ton of games, and they pick up on it really quick. It's not hard to explain because you can only do like two things on your turn. You either draw cards or you play cards and put a cube down. It's pretty easy. It's fun. It doesn't outstay its welcome. So I really dig this game. So let's talk graphic design real quick, Jason. Let's first talk about that. What do you feel about the graphic design and component quality in this game? I think the cards are nice. It's just normal cubes. The best part of the game that I like are the the scoring for the nobles that you can break in half if there's a tie. So they're like puzzle pieces. You can snap them in half. And then if, if multiple people, two people tie, you can give each of them a half and it like, let's say the tiles were 12, each of them will get a piece, and on the back it'll say six points. I think that is genius, and more games need to do that. And it sounds stupid, but it really is cool when you're no, trying to figure it, out yeah. your points to make it simpler. It really is. I, yeah. I feel like the component quality on this is great. The cards are perfectly great. The cubes are perfectly great. And those chunky tiles and the plastic, uh, the the hunks, the seals, and all the cardboard hunks on this are like one and a half times normal thickness. So I really feel like the component quality on this is yeah. pretty top notch. I would definitely get the component quality on this five wrenches for sure. Uh, the graphic design on it, I'm not sure if it's quite going to get five. I don't, it's totally functional, completely functional. It's basically a map of Europe and then it's got different colorings on it. But then there's these, um, portraits of very middle aged looking people, <laughs> not middle aged, but the middle ages people and <laughs> yeah, also right. middle aged, but and also middle aged. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing compelling, but it's certainly good artwork, uh, and it's perfectly fine. It matches the theme of the game. So again, I think it's fine. It's not like you're going to say the art in Royals is something that's amazing. In fact, I think the art in Royals is why it got passed over. It looks like every other Euro game made between 2004 and 2008, honestly. Yeah, I would um, agree. I would agree. But it's uh, it's one that is really good. Uh, the graphic design on it, I'm going to give four. It's t- totally functional and matches the theme, but it's nothing outstanding. I would give the graphic design a three because I've had people that I play with get confused on where to put cubes Mm. because each of those areas have like the two separate boxes once you take a tile off. So they don't know like, do I put it here? Do I put it on this box? Do I put it on this box? And just looking at it quickly, it's kind of hard to differentiate the areas. So I'm at a three there. Okay. That's fair. Absolutely fair. It was a pretty low four for me too. So as far as this game, it's easy. Ease to introduce to new players or ease to teach. Uh, it's easy. It's super easy to teach. I give this one a five riches on that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, five all the way. Now the fun factor. I absolutely think this game is a lot of fun. Um, I don't think that this is a game that's so intense that people have to really focus hard on it. It's 
pretty gateway for trying to get into an area control or kind of Euro type game. Um, it definitely is one of those games that would be a next steps after Ticket to Ride for gateway gamers. Um, so as far as the fun factor goes and the ability to get it to the table and just have a lot of fun with it, I'm going to give this one, man, I wish we did half points, but I'm going to give it a five. I'll round it up. Yeah, I would probably give it a five as well, just because every time I busted it out, everyone's had a great time. So yeah, that that's what you're looking for in a game like that is you want everybody to enjoy it and have a good time, no matter if they're gamers or not. You just want to sit around and have some conversation and play a fun game. So five for me. So for me, Royals plays better than it looks. It's a lot of fun, and it plays better than the description of the game even sounds. For me, I give it an overall score of five wrenches, Jason. I know that might be a little surprising for you, but I'm giving it a five-wrench rating. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, for me, it's it's a great game. Uh, I don't know if I would actually give it a five. I don't Mostly because I don't enjoy it as much as some other games that I would rather bring out, like Revolution. I'd rather play Revolution over Royals, but I will give Royals a four, a solid four. Yeah, and I give it a five-wrench rating, not based on my own personal taste, but it definitely meets the criteria of being a rock-solid game that I would recommend to 80% of people developing a game collection. It's something that I think deserves a spot in most game libraries, um, and I also think you're going to have a lot of fun with it if you get a chance to play it. So my own personal taste, maybe not quite a five, but overall, I give it a five in the ratings. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, and I, I probably would do that too, but there um just recently I've had some people who I suggested it to and they didn't want to play it. So I had to knock it down a peg for that. And there are people who have played it before. So mm. that that's why I got a four. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it is one that too, like you came, you saw, you conquered. So replay plays may be something that's not a huge thing on it. But I think also the game is an evergreen. So I think this is one that you could play once a year and still feel happy with it. Yeah, I agree. I played it twice this year and I've had a great time both times. So. So that gives it a four and a half average, Jason. I think that qualifies this for entry to the Hall of Fame. It does. I think I'll have to put it in there once sometime this week. Fantastic. Uh, and by this week, he means it may already be there because a time machine of when this yes. gets recorded and edited. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so that was awesome. And speaking of awesome, it's time for our feature. Jason, I felt so guilty on Friday morning, like around 10 o'clock. I felt so <laughs> guilty that you arranged for Vidal Lacerda to talk to us and then you couldn't do the interview yourself. I, and let me tell you something. I was so nervous to talk to this guy because he's <laughs> like, I call him a legend in the interview. He is. He's a legend. He is a legend for sure. Yes. But can I tell you something? Um, like, Within five minutes of talking to him, I felt like he was my old friend that we were drinking some vino uh, in Lisboa <laughs> out on his patio. Like he's just a really fun guy to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's, he's like Uncle Vito. Vito. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just some of the stuff he says, I'm like, Jason says that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, go ahead and listen to this interview now. And enjoy what I enjoyed, getting to talk to him. And I'm sorry, Jason, you couldn't talk to him. And interview. Okay, guys, I'm here with uh, Vidal Lacerda. He is the, I guess, uh, we'll call you the ambassador from Portugal for board gaming. Uh, when you think of <laughs> Portugal and board gaming, it's Vidal, for sure. Uh, welcome to the show, Vidal. Uh, thank you very much. 
And so I guess um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just jump right in and say you you became a a powerhouse in design almost overnight. It feels like with Venus coming out, Vinos I think is a better way to say it probably coming out in 2010, and then from there on it's just been hit after hit after hit. Um, I guess I want to start by asking: Was Vinos your first full board game design, or did you have other things that didn't get published? Oh, I had some small stuff that didn't get published, and maybe it, it may be wheels sometime. Uh, I designed uh, my first design online design was a map from Age of Steam. I was a fan from Age of Steam, it was uh, one of my favorite games of ever. So I designed a Portugal map from it, and I started there basically. I upload the map um, on BGG once, and I noticed that many people start to download it and enjoying it. That's that's so amazing. <laughs> I think my design wheel starts there. <laughs> so. Well, and then I'm going to tell you, I had a really interesting experience with uh, your BGG account here in the last month or so. Um, the game Agizia, I just recently picked that game up. And I was looking through some comments, and I think you as a fan were commenting about Agizia, that at one point you really liked that game, um, and we're making some comments about your thoughts on it. And I thought, wow, that's back before Kanban, that's back before Lisboa, and anything like that. So it was kind of neat to see oh. your perspective as a fan. Yeah, that was a long time ago already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a long time ago. I, I really like Agizia, it's how I called it, the game. Yeah. Um, and someone didn't like it. I don't know. I didn't design games that time, so <laughs> I just have my comments on a game that I love. So, and I'm still playing it uh, once in a while. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I have to stop doing those comments, of course, <laughs> because <laughs> now I'm designing games. I have to have more careful what I'm saying online. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was a, it. Is a great, great game. I really like it. Yeah. I, I don't remember that specifically but uh, yeah probably I, I'm I, I was since I had my registration in BCG uh, I'm very active uh, even now but uh, even now but uh, in a different way of course so Vinos was the first one that really kind of established you as a designer and then it went to co2 was your next release does that feel right is that the timeline am I getting that correct yeah that is that's correct yeah and then from uh, there, CO2 was my second game. Yeah. And then, and then my personally, my, my favorite game of yours is Kanban. And I feel like that game is a masterpiece. Um, you could have stopped then and you would have been a legend, but you kept going. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then Jason, you, don't, just don't call me that. I'm just a regular guy that likes to go to do board gaming. I, I think most of my games have a lot of work and a lot of play testing. Maybe many people play them before they are released, so maybe there that's why many people like them. So yeah, but uh, we also have the opposite way that people doesn't like the don't like the game. So uh, you can find everything, right? So yeah, you can't make everyone happy. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can. And then Gallerist, which is is my co-host's favorite game. Uh, and then, and then Vinos Deluxe came out 2016 and then Lisboa. So if we look at your games, there, there's kind of a common thread through them all that you, I think, love Portugal as much as you love board gaming. Um, there's a lot of Portuguese connections there. Um, with, with Vinos and, uh, your Portugal map for Age of Steam that you started at and then Lisboa. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, well, I want to, basically, I want to place Portugal in the industry or in the board game industry and, 
there was nothing at all at that time about uh, my country. So I would like to, I try to, to, to have it uh, in the industry and it seems I made it with Vinyos uh, and now with Lisboa. I, I, I live in Lisboa, that's my hometown. Uh, and uh, of course, Portugal is my country, so why not? Uh, there are other game designers that also uh, work in our team because our country is very rich. Uh, rich in, in many ways, rich in landscaping, rich in industry, uh, like the wines, the history. Uh, our country has almost a thousand years old, so <laughs> we have a lot of history to, 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 to talk about. So, and after me, some designers, Portuguese designers like Paulo and Nuno Santiago, Gil Doré, uh, start to make also games about uh, Portugal. There are some that you know, like Madeira, and uh, Gil also have some games about uh, Portugal history. So uh, we just use our uh, rich history and our rich uh, people to tell stories, I think. <laughs> oh, I think you've accomplished that. You've exposed... I'm here in the United States, halfway around the world, and um, Lisboa, for example, made me... I went online and looked up the history of Lisboa and looked up the, the fire and all the events that happened, and I did learn about the history. A few months ago, I was at Lady Econ. I don't know if you know the, 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 the convention. It's the biggest convention in Portugal for game designers and uh, publishers. Sure. And the guys from... Uh, Edward from uh, Heavy Cardboard yeah. was there, and someone was talking about the Portuguese wine uh, that we have there to, to people to serve and to drink. And he told uh, he told him just uh, don't talk to me about this because I played vinho, so I know the guy. No, I know this wine. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, stories like that leave me with great pleasure because I design games for this. Uh, I would like to 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 have to leave my culture uh, into uh, other countries and to to let people know about uh, the history of my country. And uh, I, I think Lisboa right now is a trend, right? Many people want to come here. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I started to design Lisboa for four years ago, not because <laughs> I was I, I knew that it will be a trend, but uh, at the time it seemed uh, cool. And I had lucky with that. Maybe this also helps with uh, uh, the the the, re the release of the game to, to be so well accepted because uh, the city right now, um, many people like to know it. So I bring just a little bit of its history. Yeah, it, it definitely was effective with me that I didn't, I didn't know anything about Lisboa prior to gaining an interest in that game. And I did go out and learn quite a bit about it. And I'm going to tell you, if I ever Ooh. make it to Europe, Lisboa is going to be on my list of places to stop by. Uh, maybe you and I can have some Portuguese wine. Right. You should come here because we have nice weather. And the weather right now is wonderful, <laughs> about 25 degrees and a nice uh, shiny sky. Um, we have nice food, nice people. So you are welcome to come. Yeah, I'd love it. Now, the gallerist. That that's a game rooted in art. Is that another one of your passions, or is that just a theme you thought worked well? Like, what inspired that game? It is. I, I'm a master. I'm a master in the art history, so I really love uh, art. So it was one of the themes that I had uh, hold with me during many years. Usually, my games uh, have 
something uh, from me. That's why I usually uh, start uh, researching about uh, the team because um, in wines I have an uncle that is a uh, enologist, so <laughs> it was easy to to start a team about wines because I had a lot of information from him and. Vinos is uh, uh, sorry. Wine is one of our biggest uh, industry. I can say that uh, our wine is one of the best in the world. So, and then I made CO2 because I just worried about uh, the climate change. Sure. And then the galleries because I love uh, art. And then Lisboa about my city. I'm thinking I don't forget anyone. Oh, Kanban. Kanban because <laughs> I'm interested in not the cars, especially, but um, the way they are made. Hmm. You understand? Yeah. So I'm very interested in the, the, the way of the Japanese, in the, this case, um, could uh, compete against uh, Ford at that time. Sure. Against Ford when they start to make the standardized uh, car, uh, the Model T. Right, that everybody could have a car. Right. So the Japanese invented this Kanban system to, in a way, to uh, compete with that that type of cars. They could only made uh, using the same uh, way of uh, factoring, factor, uh, manufacturer. Uh, I don't know how, how do you say uh, the the fabrication way. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, but using this. This way of fabrication, they could make smaller uh, amounts of cars, all different, uh, using the same factory. So, and this is a, a very interesting process for me. That's why I started designing Kanban. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. As you said, uh, I think it's also one of my favorite games <laughs> from my own, of course. I, I do love it. It's uh, a great design. Um, I, I'm looking forward to playing it a lot. It's new to me too. I haven't really been able to play oh, it a lot really? yet, but well, it was kind of, it wasn't as available in the United States as I, I thought it should have been. And I know there's a reprint coming this summer. So look out for that. Oh yeah. Struggled games have the, the, have the rights. Yeah. We can play also online if you want to. I usually play online in Boite, of, Boite de Jou. You know the site, Boite de Jou? Yeah. I, I'm there all the time playing. So yeah, <laughs> and your Discord channel. I just uh, I just added myself to your Discord channel. So I thought that was kind oh, of nice. fun Thank that we can connect with you on Discord as well. So I love how accessible you are. That's a really cool thing. Uh, you are a legend, but you're very accessible. <laughs> oh, a legend, though. Please don't say I, that. No, I'm you are. A you're a legend, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just made a few games. There are bigger designers than me. Martin Wallace, my uh, Nizia, I don't know, guys that are there for many, many years. So, uh, yeah, they are the legends. It's not me. I just like their games and make good games, I hope. You're my Martin Wallace, just so you know. I, I really love Martin Wallace games. So, well, my favorite game is from him, is Brass. Yeah, so, very popular game. What other game designs do you think have inspired you? What designs from other designers have inspired you as a designer? You mentioned Brass. Oh, what else? Yeah, I have Brass. I really love some games from Fels. Um, uh, sure. Uh, I really love how he designs games because I think he's a genius by mitigating dice. Uh, nobody does, uh, does it better than him for me. So I, I also have some of his games that I really inspire me. 
basically in mechanics because you know <laughs> he, he doesn't have much team on these games but right. uh, the mechanics are, are, are always uh, great but there are now some new designers with great games like uh, I really love uh, for instance I, I really love Tricarian it's I think it's a great design you know the game yeah my, my co-host Jason loves that game it's in his top five favorite games yeah uh, Necrony is another game from the same design that is huge also at least some from the same publisher i don't know i'm not sure if it is the same designer I think <laughs> it. uh, oh there's the puppy here my god it's here. <laughs> yeah it's not a puppy it's, <laughs> you, he, he weighs about 35 kilos so it's not that wow. puppy. he's a yeah, big boy but uh, yes I, I have a lot of uh, designers and games that inspire me usually and i really love to play um Old games like uh, Puerto Rico, Princess of Florence, mm. Kylos is also one of my favorite ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Dimaka. Mm. Um, uh, usually complex games, really, uh, right? Because that's what I design. Now, uh, talk to me for a minute about Dragon Keepers here. What was it like to design a game with your daughter? It was your daughter you designed the game with, right? Yeah, it was. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. And I can say it was one of the most difficult designs I made <laughs> until now, because I, I always like to have a little bo- a bit more complexity on the game, but <laughs> I couldn't do it uh, with this one. So it was a new experience for me. Our relationship was really cool by when we designed the game. I noticed that she knows exactly what she wants on the about the design. And a cool story once was she told me that if you do that, you take my uh, my um, name from the box. So, <laughs> so uh, I had to do what she wants in that case. But uh, yeah, uh, it was a wonderful experience. But it's a very difficult design. And I think the result is really cool. Do you think I she'll... don't know if I'm going to do another uh, such a light game. But uh, we'll see. Maybe. We'll see. Do you think she'll design more games? I'm trying to convince her to do it. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, she has a particular taste on the the kind of teams she wants to design, and those are not mine. So <laughs> we have a little a bit of conflict between the teams to design a game. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens in the future. Sure. Now, Escape Plan, can you give us a kind of update on what's the timeline looking for that? What is that going to be a Kickstarter project through Eagle Griffin or is that going to go to retail? How are we going to be able to get Escape Plan? Because that looks wonderful. Okay, thank you. But uh, usually, as you know, Eagle Griffin Games always do a Kickstarter, right? Sure. So this one will be the following the same path and it's scheduled already. It's scheduled for the end of this month. Oh. So not not all not long. I think it's twenty five or so, or maybe after twenty five. Uh, you, I think you are the first ones who knows these uh, date dates. Uh, but yeah, we uh, are in a lot of stress right now to finish it. Not the game, but we are a little bit behind on the art because I push the game design a little bit farther than I should. So. Um, <laughs> The art is late right now. When I let something, everything is late. So um, let's hope that uh, everything went well. But uh, I'm about to start to send um, 
prototypes to reviewers. So next month, I'm sure you will see a few reviewers about the game. Um, so, and uh, Paul Grogan is working with me oh. on the edition of, of the rulebook. So I hope to have a great rulebook with this one. And you will make the usually how play how how to play game. Yeah, how to play the game. So yeah, I really like Paul's videos. He does a nice job explaining things. So I hope to have the game more known, at least how it plays uh, to everybody until the end of the month. Uh, but yeah, you have to expect something different from me uh, because it's not the usually heavy, uh, heavy game that I, I, I designed. I decided to make a pause before my next project and on the heaviness. Sure. So, but uh, it's not a light one. It's lighter, maybe. But people say that I always say that when I release a game. So I, I think I'm going to shut down about it. <laughs> And don't tell not, nothing about the, the the weight of the game. So, but let us decide, huh? Yeah, people will see. But the game is fun. I think it's based on heist movies. Uh, it focuses on the parts that the the the, the robbers uh, escape from the city because they are being looking for by the police. Uh, so it's um, an escape, of course. It's the name of the game, Escape Plan. Um, you have to move around the city to look for money. Uh, the history of the game is that uh, the players are robbers. Uh, they made an ice uh, from a bank, okay? Just like you saw the move, the, the, the show Casa de Papel. Okay, and many others. It's sure. the most recent. Okay, so, and um, they now have uh, the money invested on the city, but they are mad with each other and someone talks to the police. <laughs> So the police is after everybody. And now what you have to do during the game is to visit the places where you have your money invested and your money hidden and take it out and get out of the city before you get busted. Uh, and I can say that I usually, <laughs> uh, I'm usually uh, busted uh, or in most of my games. People already uh, uh, make fun with, of me because of it. I, I cannot... Um, Usually I can escape from the city. <laughs> I was busted before I escaped. Uh, maybe because I'm too ambitious, you know. Uh, I want to go just to one more place, but uh, it's a question of timing. So and I'm terrible with this uh, with those timings in this game. So. <laughs> do do the players cooperate in this game, or is it competitive, or is there kind of a blend? Well, yeah, I think it's a blend because the game is completely competitive. The, the, the player who escapes with the most money wins the game. Okay. There is no co co cooperative part, but you have, and the idea is to push the, the police far away from you. Yeah. And near to the other players. So the, the interaction is big, but is not a direct interaction. You don't hurt the other players, but you can be mean, you know? Uh, and that is the fun part. I, I try to make it some, uh, for instance, the game doesn't have any guns. I took the guns off the game, uh, even being uh, heist, uh, based on heist movies. But um, I, I think we are robbers in the game with style, you know? <laughs> like, sure. uh, we just want to visit, get our money back and uh, get out of the city uh, with the lower profiles as possible. But that doesn't happen in this game because <laughs> your notoriety goes up and up and up all the game. 
that can be a nice strategy to play. You go, you know, that's to increase your notoriety because it gives you some advantages during the game. Or you can also try to be a low-profile robber and get out of the city without getting a lot of benefits, but you are not hurt because don't because since you don't have much notoriety, the cups are not uh, after you uh, that much. So you have two ways of exploring this game, and I think it's fun, and people you know, have been enjoying it. Uh, I playtest the game a lot lately on Tabletopia, yeah, people have been enjoying the game a lot, but it's very uh, different from, from mine. But it's also a passion because I really like high school. <laughs> so that's sure. why I decided to do it. And Tabletopia probably is a game changer for being able to play test games. I imagine that's a really nice tool for you to use, that you can not have everyone have cardboard components. You can play with people all around the world and just play. And that's pretty neat. Yeah, for me, it has been amazing because I've been playing so with so many different uh, kinds of people that one game is uh, playing in a way and the other game, the next one, is completely different because uh, people think differently, right? And especially when you have a table, now, this is a very rare unless you are at a con. Uh, because you can have a table with an Australian guy, an American guy, <laughs> a German and a Portuguese, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> All of these minds think not alike. So sure. they are differently thinking different ways. They approach the game in different ways. And for me, it's been great playtesting because I can uh, just listen and uh, watch people playing and take new ideas and see what, uh, how they, they think about and change the game. I already did that with Lisboa for a long time, hmm. almost a year. And... Uh, Right now, uh, I did also a, a lot here with uh, Escape Plan, and think, think, I think it's uh, a great playtesting uh, area. Of course, I, I playtest with uh, another groups on conventions and live because live is very different, you know. Sure. Um, Tabletopia has a problem for me that takes more time to play. Uh, usually, I know that uh, it's at least. 10 more minutes per player because you are not used to move pieces around like you use your hands. Of right. Uh, it's much quicker. And the way you see the board is also much quicker by seeing it live. But um, sure. you can change things really quick. You know, uh, if I need to change uh, cards or if I need to change a token or something, I can do it almost in real time. And in the convention and live, you don't do that because <laughs> you have to to print stuff, you have to cut, you have to uh, go to another game. Sometimes it's very good just to play test one or two rounds, uh, just to see or to test uh, mechanics. Uh, that's something that you it's very difficult to do live, you know. And so I, I think this is if more uh, designers approach this uh, this uh, kind of uh, play testing, uh, it can be. Uh, Really neat and a game design changer, you know. Sure. Even working, even working now with, uh, for instance, I'm working with Ian to make the art, you know. And right. If we have, I made changes, and if he wants to 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 show an idea, we just met at Tabletopia, and we can see and discuss the the, the different pieces and all the pieces there. Uh, working with Paul Grogan by the edition, the edition, uh, the edition of the game. He also 
made the finish the rulebook and try to play by himself on Tabletopia. So it's really quick to do that stuff. We can get uh, uh, feedback much quicker than before. And you mentioned Ian O'Toole. Anytime you guys pair up, those games are just so beautiful. Uh, the Vinos Deluxe Edition, Lisboa, Gallerist, and now Escape Plan is going to be the pairing of the two of you again. And then I also, I'm going to ask you about this one. Uh, you mentioned that you thought yeah. maybe in 2020, the rights to Kanban could be lifted and you could maybe have Eagle Griffin do a version with Ian. Is that still a possibility? Yeah, it, it is. It is a possibility. Oh, that's amazing. So. That is amazing. No, but uh, I, I still don't have the right, so I cannot talk about this. <laughs> you understand, of course. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be hopeful, though. We'll we'll keep listening. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Ian is amazing. His work is 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 really cool, uh, and he's, he's he's rather famous right now, right? Everybody wants to talk, to to work with him. Uh, uh, he has very cool heart, and I, I love to work with him because we discussed only not. Um, the art, but some ideas. I, 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 I happened to change in this war, happened a lot to change some game uh, mechanics because of the graphics he wants to introduce. Uh, and I think it was a very positive for the game because it improves not only the mechanics, but also the way the graphics integrate with uh, the mechanics of the game. Um, and that's one of the advantage of working with Ian. He does only not the art, but also the graphic part. So doing the same guy doing both, it's uh, uh, very positive because it, it can integrate both in, in uh, like, it can work in both things like it was only one, okay? Sure. And um, the, the only problem working with him is that he's on Australia, <laughs> I'm in <laughs> Portugal, and we have eight hours of difference. So, <laughs> but, uh, well, I also work with uh, Eagle Griffin game, that's, another eight hours of difference i'm in the middle so yeah. and um, so uh, i I'm, I'm always working 24 hours because i need to contact everybody <laughs> <laughs> well and then i like when you guys work together you mentioned how ian does the graphics and the art and they integrate so well i do feel that in those games i feel like the art and the clean, just overall presentation of the board, it, it puts you into a vineyard and it makes you feel like you're there, you know, producing wine and selling it. And then the other thing too is your designs mechanically have very unique mechanisms and very cool mechanisms in there, but they also match the theme too. So when you guys go together and make a game, it's just like, lightning strike or something. I don't know. It's just really great. So I really look forward to seeing this come up. Um, so we're looking at this being on Kickstarter in late May and then hopefully yep. fulfilled in 2018 yet or 2019. What are we looking at for the timeline on that? Do you guys have any feels for that? When escape plan, uh, probably 19 because the game will be kickstarted now. i it's not completely finished in time in, in the, in the part of the rule book, not the rules, but the rule book layout. And, uh, probably I'm working on some expansion, not expansions, but uh, add ons for the game. Sure. Like I, I, I would like to have missions. So there's the cards that you can uh, follow some missions during the game. It will, change the game a little bit or I will also want to have um, different powers for each player so something some stuff that you can introduce in the game and all of that is not yet completed I'm also working on the solo version uh, I'm not happy with it yet but um, mm -hmm. 
well, the game is cool, I think, so we can <laughs> play from two to five players. It's my first game to five players. I, I know that uh, CO2 was for five players also, but uh, it was not designed by me for five players. Mm. This one is from the Roots, so and uh, uh, it plays about around uh, about with five players. And with the explanation, you can take about two and a half hours for a full game, first game even. So mm. uh, it's not a long game for for what I'm using to do. Uh, you can explain the game. This is something different because you can explain the game during game. It doesn't work for some players that like to have all the rules at front, right? But most of the players just want to start playing, right? And this game allows you to do this. So there are a few new features that are not uh, very, uh, that are very new to me and that I introduced in this game. I hope you like the tension because the game increases in tension until the end. And I'm really happy with the results. Let's see what happens. But I'm very insecure as always. <laughs> I never, we never know. We never know. It, lo- it looks wonderful. The pictures I've seen of it and the pictures I've seen of people playing it, it looks wonderful. I think it's something that I'm certainly going to back. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything you would want to say about, I, I don't know much about this project except for it's listed, uh, on Mars. Is that the next one after Escape Plan? Yeah, I'm already working on it and I'm going to open the, Public, te- oh, I'm sorry, the public playtesting on Tabletopia, probably next month. I don't know yet, but uh, all depends on how it, it it goes or in the direction I uh, take the game. But yeah, I started working this game for, I don't know, four years ago. Wow. Three years ago, but I usually place the games on the, on the shelf during some time. And then I pick them up again and to see what I had done before is good or not. <laughs> and usually it works for me. Uh, for instance, the escape plan, I started, if you go to BGG, you see that the first image there was from 2009, I think, 2010, probably. Wow. So I had this idea for 10 years ago, maybe. <laughs> but uh, they stay at the shelf during a lot of time, and I pick them up when I think the time is correct. So, And Mars is the same. I started to play testing again. Right now, with some close friends, uh, only a, a, a small group for now, and let's see what happens. I'm very happy with the result. It will be a very heavy game. Uh, let's see if I take a little bit of heaviness from it during the process. But if you want to try it, I will open play, play, play testing next month, probably. Fantastic. Uh, so, June, yeah. If you are in my Discord channel, just go there and... It may be a link to the table. will be open. That'd be so fantastic. Join. I usually explain the games. Uh, and I'm really happy with uh, with this team. And uh, I think it will be a very nice game to my, to my uh, collection of games. So I think uh, in the same line of my other games like Lisboa and the Galleries and uh, the Vineyards. Okay, because this plan is a little bit different from the other ones. And we are talking about 13 minutes already. Sure. So I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. Time. This has been great. I really enjoyed this. Um, so look for On Mars to be potentially in a public playtest if you get to Vidal's Discord, uh, which you can find right on his BGG page. And then look for Escape Plan this month on Kickstarter. It looks like a nice change from Vidal, but still a rock solid game and something that I think a lot of us will have a lot of fun playing. Uh, Vidal, thank you for your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention? No, th- 
Thank you very much for having me, and it was a pleasure. This was wonderful, Vidal. Thank you so much. So, Jason, the thing that I don't know if it came across in this interview or not um, is just how eager Vidal is to connect with his fans and with his um, with the community. I think that does come through largely, but I I stopped recording. He stopped recording, and I thought we were going to say. All right, thanks for your time, Vidal. Um, I will have this show up in a week, and we'll let you know. And that's typically how it goes with these guys. I mean, right. like with yeah. Philip DeBerry, he said, I've got 15 minutes for you. And we went 20, and I was super happy about that. But he's busy. I get that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with Jamie, like, I can't believe that he gave us as much time as he did. But you definitely knew that he had other things he needed to do as well. With Vidal Lacerda, it was so awesome. He's like, all right, we're done recording. So how about you? Tell me about you. And like, <laughs> genuine interest in my life, genuine interest in like teaching me about, he seriously taught me the history of Portugal, about their, colon, their, their colonization of South America and um, about the wines in, in Portugal and how they've influenced him and his game designs and just on and on about different things about where he lives and just about how when I visit Lisboa, these are the things that I need to do. And he talked for another 20 minutes after I turned off the recording. Um, just That's about awesome. stuff that has nothing to do with board games at all. <laughs> just yeah. a cool guy. He really does love Portugal. Like, I was listening to that. He definitely, like, people love where they're from, but it seems like he really loves from where he's from. Oh, like, yeah. If you if he left Portugal, I feel like he would lose, like, half half of his soul. Like, he loves Portugal that much. It was uh, awesome to hear. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed doing it. And then I enjoyed listening to it too. I actually, I'm going to go ahead and I'm not trying to be vain. I didn't listen to myself. I listened to Vidal. I listened to that interview twice um, after it was done just because I wanted to hear what he had to say like a couple more times. And just, he's su got such a like interesting air about him. He's just fun to listen to. So uh, yeah. anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And he did tell us when Escape Plan was coming to Kickstarter, and he said we were the first place that he'd mentioned that, which is pretty awesome. We broke awesome. that here. How amazing is that? Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, what did he say? That was the 25th? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And if so you're one of the 100 people who listens to our show, you know that. So although yeah. although when people like go to their podcast app and they're like, I wonder if Vidal Lacerda does a podcast, and we pop up, that number may go up by like literally handfuls of numbers. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. It was so awesome that he took the time just to talk to our dozens of listeners. <laughs> it's awesome. Like he's definitely one of my favorite designers now. If I mean, it was between him and Feld, and I think he now dethroned Feld. I, uh, you know what, him and him and uh, Mr. Feaster, like Mr. Feaster, um, those guys. It's been a jump ball between them, and I think Vidal's kind of like running away with it right now a little bit for me too. I just. I don't know. I love the guy and I love his games. Yeah. It, yeah. So you know what's yeah. fun about this, Jason? I just thought about this. This is like like maybe the only episode where we haven't talked about one of Vidal Asserta's games. You know, the one where you interview him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I was going to talk about Vinos, but I only played it for like a round because some other people showed up. <laughs> so uh. um, I hope you guys enjoy these interviews because, Wow. We have some really cool interviews that we may be doing in the future, um, including some big names like yes. Vidal Lacerda Big. So um, yes. the only one I can pretty well guarantee won't be on the show is Stefan Feld. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Give me give me some time. I'll, I'll mend those fences. We could get the Stefan Feld um, <laughs> effigy on here. 
Stefan Feld Pillow, tell us about <laughs> what it was like to design castles in Burgundy. <laughs> well, I look at the dice and I enjoy them. <laughs> then I make the board that is yellow. <laughs> so yellow. <laughs> so yellow. All the games are yellow. <laughs> and now he's no longer going to be on our show again. <laughs> well, or his graphic design guy won't, that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh. Although, you know what? Like, I think at Eurogame Graphic Design Con, those guys get together and they say, all right, so guys, it's 2018. What shade of yellow this year? <laughs> and it's like every game's going to have primarily yellow as its color. <laughs> that's so true. Uh, that's funny. All right. Well, I am done. I am out of stuff to say, Jason. Yeah. Just listen to Vital. Go back and listen to it again. It's well worth listening. He's amazing. He gave us the time of the day, and that forever makes me grateful to Vito Lacerda. And honest to goodness, I am going to try and play Escape Plan with him and try and play On Mars with him on Tabletopia because... That would be awesome. That's why. It's like you put that on your gravestone, honestly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Play tester of On Mars with Vito Lacerda. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Engrave it on the backside, maybe. The front side is going to have like some kind of Bible verse and like wisdom for like people who want to like, you know, live a better life. But then on the backside, <laughs> the vanity side, you say, like, it, a lot of guys are going to have those World War II plaques on there. You're going to have play test with Vidal. A <laughs> picture of Kanban. <laughs> uh, that's funny. You're, uh, you're, and like sometimes they have etched pictures on there. Yeah, it'll be that etched picture of Kanban. That'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I bet right. that exists. Maybe not at Kanban, but I bet somebody's got like they've got like sheep, logs, wheat, and bricks on their on their headstone somewhere. Oh, I'm sure he know it. That's the password this week, Richard and Mike. Go out and find that headstone. Go to findagrave.com and find it. <laughs> that's it's not homework. morbid. That's not morbid. It's a homework at all. password. Uh, all right. Uh, I th- I think we need to uh cut the ba- the banter off right here. Yeah, I agree. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. See you guys later. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do.